The mighty have truly fallen, and not just one division, but two. Proving again like UFC 1 and the tournaments that followed, that technique, not brute strength, determines the winner. The record has finally been broken. As of UFC 220, Stipe Miocic officially shattered the long-standing record that had stood since the heavyweight belt's inception. He's defended his belt three times consecutively. Even the seemingly most dominant UFC champions never managed to achieve this. Randy Couture, Frank Mir, Tim Sibia, Arlovsky, Brock Lesnar, Junior Dos Santos, Cain Velasquez, or Verdum. Not only does Stipe hold this record over everyone else, he's also gone through a murderer's row to get there, and that's hard to argue with. But then of course there's an epic name from the past that has long been considered the greatest of all time for many years in any weight class and it held a much longer streak in pride. And there are other questions to consider, namely with some long-awaited matchups that still stand in the division waiting in the shadows. Let's look at each of these challengers to the throne and seek to answer this question. I'm Jason from MMA on Point and I'm asking, is Stipe Miocic the greatest heavyweight of all time? So first off, let's set the stage with who really deserves to be on this list above the others. For me, it really comes down to four, and I'll mention some other notables. And then from those four, we'll narrow it down to who the best might be. Obviously, Stipe has gotten to be in this group considering what he just accomplished, and then GOAT contender Fedor, C-level Kane Velasquez, and Fabricio Verdum round up the top four for me, and I'll justify all of these in a moment. And in the meantime, I think some other legends that should be acknowledged here are Big Nog, Couture, Frank Mir, JDS, and Krokop. All of these, though, either directly lost to my top four on this list, lost to each other, or had far too mixed of a record to be included in this discussion as the greatest heavyweight ever. But by all means, still phenomenal talents and certainly in the top 10 ever, but those very real losses pulled them out of the discussion for the absolute greatest. The pros, Fedor. Let's start with the elephant in the room and the man who held the longest streak at the sport's highest level for nearly 10 years. Fedor Emelianenko. An incredible title reign and much longer set of wins than any other heavyweight fighting in a world-class organization. Four years of dominance as the pride heavyweight king, with no losses on the way up. And no, I'm not counting that stupid rings loss. And of course, Fedor continued winning after Pride and didn't lose until 2010, beating former UFC champs like Andre Arvlovsky and Tim Sylvia after Pride. He actually won 11 times after first winning his championship against Big Nog within Pride, and seven more times after Pride before ultimately losing to Verdum in Strikeforce with 18 wins unbeaten as champion and 31 wins unbeaten overall. There's the bar, ladies and gentlemen. The pros, Verdum. So then the next logical step is who many were asking was the greatest heavyweight just before Stipe took the belt, Fabricio Verdum. And one of the biggest reasons for this is how he dispatched Fedor in the first round of their strike force bout in 2010 with a triangle slash armbar. It was a massive, massive win, but it was the scent going back to the UFC that really makes his case for the greatest heavyweight of all time. He beat Roy Nelson, Mike Russo, Big Nog, and a dream fight, mind you, because of each of the fighters' strong Brazilian jiu-jitsu background where he won by armbar. Travis Brown, and this is when he was going on a tear, going through Gonzaga, Alistair, and Josh Barnett all back-to-back. Then Verdum earned a huge TKO of Mark Hunt with a massive knee and punches to win the interim heavyweight title, while Caden Velasquez was out due to an injury, and then another huge win taking out Caden Velasquez in Mexico City, and actually outlasting his cardio to win the title. Of course, part of the story is that they were fighting at high elevation in Mexico City, where Caden didn't properly acclimate for more than a week, as opposed to Verdum, who had been training there for a month. Either way, incredibly impressive performance by Verdum. 
He's actually the only man of the four I've narrowed down this list to, to beat two of the other greatest heavyweight contenders. The only other person to have a win over somebody else in this group is Stipe, and that's of course over Verdum. If he can win in a likely to happen rematch against Stipe, that means he's beaten everyone in the top four. The pros, Kane. Then there's Kane Velasquez, a bit more pointedly C-level Kane, is nearly unstoppable. From the very beginning of his career, he was incredibly dominant. He went straight to the title without a single loss in his career. In this first surge to the title, he had a 7-0 UFC record beating veterans like Czech Congo, Ben Rothwell, and then the legendary Big Nog, and then absolutely demolishing Brock Lesnar. Up to this point, he looked unstoppable, clearly beating everyone with only one decision to his name. After the loss to Dos Santos in their first fight, he bounced back by destroying Bigfoot Silva in a bloody mess that dominated JDS in their rematch. Massacring Bigfoot Silva again in his first defense and then beating JDS even worse in their grudge match with the TKO win in the fifth round. Throughout all of this, Kane never so much as looked tired. Truly a cardio machine before losing to Verdum at UFC 188. The pros, Stipe. And finally, there's Stipe Miocic, the current UFC champ who's just dispatched who could be described as the most dangerous puncher in heavyweight history. Okay, maybe that's only true if it doesn't go past the second round, but man, was that first round dicey. It shows Stipe's intelligence and game plan inside the cage backed up by his wrestling and ground game to overwhelm Nganu. A tremendous performance that is fresh on everyone's mind at the time of this recording. With just two losses to his name out of the 20 bouts he's fought in, he's beaten guys early on in his career like Roy Nelson, Gabriel Gonzaga before jumping onto one of the best, if not the best streaks in heavyweight division history. He first dominated Mark Hunt, TKOing him in the fifth round of their fight, then TKOing Arlowski in a title earning shot that saw him knock out the then champion Fabricio Verdum, again KOing another great in Alistair Overeem in the first round of their fight with devastating ground and pound. And I clearly felt the tap. Then he avenged one of his only two losses to Dos Santos by TKOing him in the first round, and then that leads us to his hugely important win over Nganu at UFC 220 and being the first UFC heavyweight to defend his belt three times consecutively. And nearly all of his last five wins against huge stars in the UFC came by knockouts. So the stage is set and now you know why each of these four belong where they are. Other heavyweights just can't boast beating the same level of competition in as great a succession or claim to be on top for the same amount of time. So let's break down what could be some of the eliminating factors from being considered the greatest of all time at heavyweight. And before we jump in, some of you are going to be very triggered. This is a shout out to you. Those that think I hate these fighters because I'm being critical of them. I'm looking at this from a lens that's focused on accomplishments, proven track records, and demonstrated ability. Not nostalgia. I'm neutral to these fighters. I don't care who it is, just what their records say. And yeah, I'm going to spend more time here because I'm challenging a lot of popular beliefs and conventional wisdom. I have to be a bit more convincing, so more words are needed. Good times. Fedor's cons. Here's the controversial one. So as I mentioned before, Fedor won the Pride Heavyweight Championship in between then and 2007, stayed undefeated, winning 11 more times before Pride closed its doors. Oddly though, Fedor only defended his title three times in that entire span. So why only three defenses in four years? Were there layoffs? PD sanctions? No, he never had one of those. So what happened? 
If we want to truthfully answer this question, it's a bit contentious. And well, if you think money fights in the UFC are bad, Pride was much worse about it. They were an organization that was out to make stars, much like any other organization is. What was best for their business is to have these stars that went on as dominant champions and looked incredible doing so. But let's just say they were way more adamant about making that happen. One of the best methods for this was to put in these legends with, let's face it, some well-known names in Japan that didn't deserve to be there and famous on the world stage that were simply over the hill. Fader's first fight after beating Big Nog for the title was Fujita. And mind you, this is a great fight. Fujita rocked Fedor worse than any other fighter in Pride competition. But that's why you call it a puncher's chance. Crazy things like this do actually happen. Going further, Gary Goodridge, a man who was never close to a title in the UFC or Pride and only had decent wins to his name at best, fought Fedor next. Then it was Mark Coleman, twice, who was already well past his prime by then. Kevin Randleman, to his credit, was coming off the biggest upset of the year against Krokop and gave Fedor the best slam of his career. But clearly he wasn't championship level material anymore since his championship days in the UFC four years prior. Ogawa, a professional wrestler who's been accused of bribing fighters despite legit beating Gary Goodrich and not having very good names on his record aside from that. Then there was Fedor's fight with Kosaka, which was much more of a revenge fight than anything else. The last non-title fight before facing Mark Coleman again was the worst, Zulu Zinho. To be fair, some of these names are legends with great histories in the sport and have done a lot for the sport, but they weren't top tier challenges to the greatest heavyweight the world had ever seen at the time, and they hadn't been at that level for years. It's not like how a champion in the UFC will defend two or three times in one year like Stipe had done against JDS and Nganu. And yes, a couple of those title defenses Fedor had were incredible. Big Nog, Krokop. But the last defense was really odd, Mark Hunt, who at the time was coming off of a loss to Josh Barnett and would go on to lose five more in a row. That wasn't the MMA beast Hunt has become. Either way, he was clearly the best of his time when you look at who he beat, there was a shit ton of fluff in there. Gotta be honest about that. Easy fights. And then of course not fighting the UFC meant we never did get to see his talents against the next generation like Brock, Carwin, JDS, and Kane. If you're a huge fan of Fedor, it sounds like I'm just talking shit to some folks right now about Fedor, but he's one of my favorite fighters ever. And to be considered the greatest of all time, not fighting in the UFC where the best clearly were makes it hard to compare him with the new talents that have emerged since then. Again, certainly the best of his time and pride, but beyond that, it's hard to make the case that his accumulation of wins he amassed was a shark tank like the others on this list went through. Good luck to you. I'm out. Verdum's cons. Of anyone on this list, Verdum by far has the most mixed record. Apart from Fedor, if you look past his prime and into his decline, which really isn't a part of this discussion, he lost to Sergei Karatanov and Big Nog in his early days going back to Pride. And then there were his fights in his first stint in the UFC, losing to Arlovsky, then JDS, with perhaps the worst uppercut in history before Ngannou one-upped him with a win over Overeem. Speaking of which, that was his only loss in Strike Force, where he tried over and over to pull guard to lure Overeem in, which was smart considering he had beaten Overeem on the ground back in Pride with a Kimura. So it made sense he wanted the fight to take place there, especially when Uberim was in full effect. But that was the only loss he'd had until losing the title to Stipe five years later at UFC 198. And it was particularly a bad loss because of how recklessly he charged after Stipe and got starched. 
and then that led to his most recent loss against Alistair again. To his credit, he almost finished Alistair at the end of the fight, but lost on the scorecards for the first two rounds. And also, it's worth noting that he only lost to former or future champions in Pride, Strike Force, and the UFC minus Sergei Karatanov. But despite these caveats, the record doesn't show an extended period of dominance like you see from the other champions in the top four. And he actually has no title defenses to his credit. And the streak of wins he accrued could have been the best ever, but that last loss to Stipe and then Alistair shortly after really messed up things for him. If he can avenge that Stipe loss in a future title fight that does appear to be on the horizon again, then that could dramatically change things. Kane's cons. Kane Velasquez has only lost twice. Both were UFC title fights. The first was the inaugural Fox event on national American television with Junior Dos Santos, and the second being against Verdum in Mexico City by shockingly gassing out and getting submitted. The other thing for him has been his repeated and increasingly more serious injuries, particularly to his knees and back, seemingly showing the limits of what a cardio machine is your own body giving out from all that training. As of the time of this video being made, it's been a year and a half since Kane has fought at UFC 200. The last time he was booked to fight was at UFC 207 to rematch for Doom, but was unable to fight due to a back surgery on his bone spurs that was discovered to take place just days after the fight he was scheduled for. Yeah, after, meaning he was needing surgery and was gonna fight anyway. Strangely, the way it was discovered was because he actually told a reporter in Brett Okamoto for ESPN just days before the fight. Also adding that he couldn't stand up for more than 10 minutes without suffering immense pain because of the surgery he needed. So naturally due to these health concerns, he was pulled from the fight. And although Daniel Cormier is insistent in more recent interviews that he is back to training and readying for a return in 2018, it's hard to say until that really happens and a fight is announced. Is there a chance you may not fight again? I want to. Just like a lot of you, I for one really want to see him fight Verdum again and take on Stipe as well. Let's just hope it's close to the same cane we've seen dominate in the past. Stipe cons. It's been six years, but the first thing that comes to mind with Stipe is his loss to Stefan Struve, a man who lost two fights immediately after and four out of his last seven fights. It's not a good look to have on your record. That being said, his only other loss is to Junior Dos Santos. He avenged that at UFC 211. The other question is his cardio. He made it through five rounds with a massive heavyweight in Nganu and managed to use his veteran skills to dominate the fight, but in comparison to the others on this list, it looked like he certainly would have a hard time going another round. Which is a problem Verdum didn't have fighting Tybura in Australia, and certainly Kane doesn't have aside from fighting at elevation in Mexico City. To be fair though, Nganu required Stipe to be incredibly fast on his feet in the first rounds with the speed he had early on and the bombs he was trying to throw. So with all that being said, in my mind this all narrows it down to two fighters, Stipe and Kane. Then it all matters most on what criteria you use to arrive at your decision for who the greatest is. Consistency in Stipe, a man who is clearly the most consistent UFC title holder we've ever seen, or in the case of Kane, a fighter whose best wins show that his cardio, wrestling, and striking combinations might be the best the weight class has ever seen, and also he is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt to go on top of that. Furthermore, Arizona State's wrestling program is much higher rated where Kane went, and he was considered the fourth best in the nation overall in 2005, in contrast to Cleveland State University where Stipe went. Still Division I wrestlers in both cases, but you get the idea. And yes, MMA math doesn't work, comparing credentials and past records don't add up in MMA, but it's the only thing we have to go on here, and this stupid thing that we all like to do that's infinitely fun about looking into and assessing who might be the greatest ever can only be weighed on those accomplishments. What else do you 
you have to go on? Intuition? In that case, this would be the lamest video ever, me just telling you how I feel about things. But back to credentials, that's actually where Stipe shines as well, perhaps better than anyone. Beating Hunt, Arlovsky, Verdum, Alistair, JDS, and Nganu all back to back is arguably the best streak in heavyweight history, no matter where you fought. And I'll admit going into researching this, I would have said Kane, but accomplishments are king. It's not just breaking the record of consecutive title defenses, but it's who he beat that matters the most. So for that reason, I'm going to have to go with Stipe as the greatest of all time based on what he's actually done in comparison to any other heavyweight we've seen so far. Verdum and Kane will both hopefully have a chance to challenge that notion. We'll see, but after looking into it, that's who my greatest of all time is. Hey, what is up, everybody? I hope you enjoyed that video. I had a ton of fun putting it together, put my own opinion into it, and really, um, after just looking at the data, it just made a ton of sense to say that Stipe was the greatest just based on what he has done and the people that he went through. I mean, that's five fights back-to-back -back of just a bunch of killers, and Arlovsky might be at the end of his career, but that guy still knocks out people, so... Really interesting stuff. Curious to get your guys' thoughts. I want to know who you think is the greatest heavyweight of all time. Was it the top four? Do you think it was narrowed down to that? Or did you think I should have included somebody else? And um, I know a bunch of people are going to be mad about uh, me kind of, you know, saying that Fedor wasn't the best and kind of talking about his record. But that's just how I feel about it. And when you look at it, I mean, some of those guys, they were just way over the hill. It wasn't, it wasn't that good of a matchup. And if he was matched up against some of the guys in the UFC at the time, it would have been really interesting. And we know how MMA math is, and especially since he beat some of these guys later on. So, uh, really interesting. And uh, that's just my two cents there. So, I'd love to discuss this with you guys in the comments. But for now, that is it, guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed that video. Be sure to like and subscribe. And I'll see you on the next one.